What time is it? 12.23, okay. Right, let's try and keep this to less than three hours. Um, <laughs> well, there's only two hours charge left on my laptop, so... Uh, yeah. All right, good. Now that problem will solve itself. Excellent. <laughs> Right, shall we introduce ourselves and say hello? Uh, shall we go in order from oldest to youngest? So Andy, say hello. 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 Uh, I'm Austin. Uh, ben, say hello. Hello, I'm Ben. And Adam, say hello. Hello, I'm Adam. There you go. And we all sound the same, so you know, you've got no Yeah, this is going to be a nightmare as a podcast. Um, we've not thought this through at all. This is going to be a terrible podcast format. It's basically four people who sound the same. There could be two of us, there could be 12, who can say? All right, so we're going to talk about Everton. Uh, we thought we'd start this before the start of the new season because it seemed like, you know, we were getting back into it again. Although it feels like, I don't know how you guys feel, it feels about two minutes since the last season finished. Um, yeah. And that felt like a very long time since it stopped in the middle. So it's all been a bit weird. Um, we're going to talk about signings. Now, we're, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. So we're in that sort of that Everton-like state of the kind of transfer paradox, like Schrodinger's transfer, where a transfer has both happened and <laughs> not happened simultaneously. So we've got Alan... I can't, I can't say that without thinking about that meme. Alan. Alan. Yeah. Alan. Yeah. Alan. We've all thought of that. Decore, and we've got James Rodriguez, or James, as he will have to change his name to. Um, <laughs> right, in order right, to... to do it. <laughs> in order to be an Everton player. Uh, and Alan's confirmed the other two like, are like, I mean, we know what restaurants James Rodriguez is eating in, right? Because people are following him around Liverpool and London. So that apparently, and I saw fourth official tweeted this morning that it was a done deal. So like, we're just going to assume that these three things are done, right? We're not going to get into the will it, won't it, because we're just going to be optimistic. We should we should record an episode where it, we should basically record a, a different version where it, they all fall apart because he has working apart. knees yeah, or yeah. something. And then, and then, then a third one in. where they do a Morgan Schneiderlin and actually turn out to be actually shit. <laughs> so um, let's talk about these. Have, have you guys heard of the story when we signed a Brazilian player called Muller? Well, I, I, I remember all the copites posting the Muller light lids through everyone's doors after we didn't. Does everybody know the story or shall I recite this it? This is the tax thing. No, it's a good, uh, it's a good example of how these things can go sideways, so go for it. He was, he, the signing had been announced and he was in the press conference literally about to put pen to paper to his contract. And it either dawned on him at that point or it was pointed out to him that the salary he'd been told he'd get was before tax, not after tax. And he thought... <laughs> mathematically, is a significant difference. Yeah. Forget, this is what early 90s I'm going back to now. Yeah. So it, basically, he was earning around 40% less than what he thought he was going to earn. And he yeah. left the press conference and we never saw him again. <laughs> yeah. And we, it was like yeah, done. Like we, they'd sort of. I remember. I don't think they'd actually done a. Yeah, like they, they. It, this was a done deal, right? This was not. And that is the one for like Evertonians that remember it, because yeah. it was well, going to so, be the biggest signing ever. So the one of, of sort of, of my generation. I'm 32 now. So is when we put on the website that we'd signed one Roman Rakelmi, 
uh, from Villarreal, oh, literally that. put on the website and then took it down because it turned out it was a dummy page that they used for testing that somebody had accidentally put up. And obviously the internet <laughs> went so mad awesome. that we signed they signed this one Ramon Raquelme because we'd been linked with him for ages. So then obviously some you know genius uh, in yeah, the IT yeah. department had dummied up a page because oh this will be funny we'll use this as our test page for stuff we'll never it'll never see the light of day and famously with things that never are designed to never see the light of day eventually yeah. someone accidentally shows them to the light of day um and that was that's the one that you know where the five minutes we signed while we were a man good so that's like three minutes on uh, what can possibly go wrong <laughs> so <laughs> uh... it demonstrates the point very well that until the guy is pictured in the stand with a shirt yeah. on. Until he's on the pitch. <laughs> Alan, Alan was in the Alan was reportedly in the stand yesterday with a face mask. He was. No, I saw a photo. I mean, I don't know what the guy looks like, but I saw a photo of someone that a reputable outlet claimed to be. Like, he just looked like a hard, mask. He just looked like a hard bastard in a mask. Well, that's so. Let's talk about Alan because I was looking at some of his stats this morning, and he looks like someone who gets a certain perverse pleasure out of physical encounters with his opponents. Well, right. just, yeah, just on that point, again, I've looked into some of his stats as well, and uh, 262 Serie A appearances for Udinese and Napoli, 43 yellow cards, only one okay. red card, which shows that, a bit like Mark Van Bommel used to do for the Netherlands, he knows just <laughs> how to go. Far to push it. It's strategic. Yeah. People, but um, not you know, not too far. Well, I mean, considering considering one game uh, after restart, our co the collective number of tackles made by our central midfield pairing was literally zero. Um, he will inject uh, hopefully a, a degree of, uh, of physicality in there. I falsely assumed because. I have a sort of lazy stereotype where I hear we're signing a Brazilian. I was like, oh, an attacking midfielder. So when I actually looked at his stats and do the thing that I do where I check him out on Football Manager, I was like, oh, he's actually really yeah. like, he's really aggressive and, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a tough tackler. He's, you know, he's, that's his game. I was like, good, great. That's what we need. Absolutely. In his last season, at, last season at Udinese, which is the 2014-15 season, he was the top, wall, top ball winner in Europe's top five leagues. Wow. Uh, that's that's the season before N'Golo Kante came on the scene um, at Leicester and Kante was playing at Colm that season. So if he can do anything approaching those numbers of tackles for us, which is clearly yeah. what we need because we've obviously never replaced Gone again. He'll, he'll bring what Gabriel and more, I think. And Ancelotti's already said that he's probably one of the best um, ball-winning midfielders in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Go ahead, Sorry. No, as you say, it's interesting to think about. I don't know. We're going to come on to talk about you know Decore and Rodriguez and thinking about Gabamin coming about uh, back about how Ancelotti actually wants to set up and how Alan sort of fits into that because he seems to be the sort of midfielder who you could genuinely play in a four-four-two. Because nowadays, so many midfielders are like pigeonholed into oh well. Yeah, if you're playing them in a three, this is the, they're the defensive one or the box block. They're so specialised. Whereas he actually seems like someone who could, you know, the term box to box is a bit sort of, yeah. you know, yeah. overused. But he genuinely seems like he's the sort of player who he can do the defensive work as well as the attacking work. So which is which is yeah. good for flexibility, if nothing else. Well, that's where I think he compliments to Corey. I read an article on The Athletic about something like this, this pretty much this exact discussion point of how they're going to set up and. He said that the Corey is more the 
he, he won't get involved in the defensive side as much. Obviously, he's very phys- he's a very physical player, so he will be able to put himself about. But um, he's he's very very athletic and quite an, an intelligent as well. So he'll be the he'll be the kind of link between defence and attack. As Alan yeah. will do the, the the tackling and the the hustling and stuff. Let's talk about Decore. I have to admit, and this is just partly because I really don't pay attention to football beyond Everton or the Premier League beyond Everton, which is just because that's what I'm interested in. But I hadn't really noticed him last season for Watford. But I know we've been interested in him for a while. I mean, and and he seems to be like, from what I've read, you know, he, he seems to be maybe more of a traditional. I mean, he, he, the, the descriptions I've read of him and watching some stuff on YouTube, he sort of he reminds me a little bit of Tim Cahill. Is that in any way kind of is that completely wacky? I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Tim Cahill. I would. I mean. He's like we tend to do with Watford. We sort of kind of show concrete interest in their players, make bids, they get rejected, and then um, they end up they end up um, having a really poor season the next season because that's basically <laughs> what happened with Decore. Is like the year before he was far better than he was last season, um, so hence why he probably didn't. And there was probably a clip that's done the rounds away and a game away at Brighton where he picks up the ball, beats two players for pace, and then. Um, whacks it into the bottom corner and that was sort of the that was like in terms of goal scoring that was a bit of an anomaly um, mm. for him last season but before that he was far far better yeah I think I think the the way that he was played last season was different as well when when they were trying to stay up from relegation Pearson Nigel Pearson um, basically moved Decore into more like the traditional attacking midfield role whereas historically he'd been a He'd been a, not a deep line, but he'd been, a, I'm going to say again for the second time in the, pod, the podcast, but he'd been the box-to-box midfielder, so he'd started, played a bit deeper. So he's probably played a bit more in the sort of Cahill role last season than he had than he had historically. But, I mean, he's, he's, he's clearly like, he's clearly very athletic. He's clearly gets around uh, the pitch, very like 27, so he's at sort of PK. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's six foot three, I think. So he's, he's a big physical mm-hmm. midfielder, so he'll bring some... It'll bring some sort of physicality to the middle of the pitch as well, which is, is obviously what we need. Yeah, I mean, so just on the point of the, the, the those two players, what's everybody's views on a possible central midfield partnership of Decorey and Allen, if it was a four-four-two, for example? Yeah, I mean that that's the in the very two-dimensional way in which you tend to think about having one holding yeah, yeah. player and one that runs about a bit and tries to score goals, and that. Makes sense. It gets to a question which I do want to talk about actually about formations, and maybe we sort of do that and talk about the big one, which I think would be the big one in Samez Rodriguez. I mean, this is a player that is a proper. I don't know. I'm sure you know Alan and Decore are both. You know, their records show they're both extremely good footballers. But Samez Rodriguez, just as a sort of football celebrity you know, almost like, you know, I live in, in New York and that story has been covered like a little bit over here, you know, because there's quite a big, you know, there's a big South American population in New York and it's, it's it, you know, that kind of is a different level of like celebrity. But how do you think he fits in? Because I was, I was watching something on YouTube yesterday, which is quite a good sort of tactical analysis of his time at Munich. And he, play, it looks like he could play actually either on the, either side of a wide midfield or as a, a number 10. And if you think about the, you know, the sort of Ancelotti 4-4-2 becoming 4-3-3 when you've got the ball kind of formation, 
it kind of makes sense that he'd be on the right, I think, is probably yeah. what makes most sense. But I uh, appreciate interested in thoughts on how, he, how he'd fit in and what that kind of midfield would look like. I've been looking into this as well, the same as I'm sure we all have. And he's he played on the on, in his first season at Real Madrid, the 2014-15 season, he played on the left of a 4-3-3. That was when Ancelotti was his manager. And that first season at Madrid, he played 29 ga- uh, games, scored 13 goals, and got 13 assists. And as an aside, he was also voted the best midfielder in La Liga that season. And which three was he on the left of? If that's not a stupid question. Ronaldo and Benzema. The, the, the forward three, as opposed right, to... Right, so, so, so he was kind of playing as an inside forward. Yeah. In football manager language, which yeah, is the only way I understand any of this. Um, yeah, OK, that's it, because that's interesting, because you could see, you know, because you've got Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, are, I think, are our sort of solo ones, but the question is whether he fits in on, say, on the right of that or even sort of behind it. Ben, go ahead. Following what Ancelotti sort of said and all the talk that's come out of, of the club about the transfer target and things, I would expect Rodriguez to fit to actually play on the right of a three, an attacking three or a midfield four, because I think Ancelotti's keen on having the left-footed player coming in from the right and the right-footed player coming in from the left with then the overlapping, the attacking sort of fullbacks yeah. that, that, that push on. So I would expect that now, whether it's a 4-4-2 where he plays as a right midfielder or where actually, you know, uh, this is merely a theory, but whether you actually end up with a situation where you have a midfield three of Alan, Decore and and Gabamin or Gomez. So you have your, your your tight sort of three traditional central midfielders and then you have Richarlison as your left inside forward, left winger, Rodriguez as your right winger and then Calvert-Lewin in the middle. So it's more yeah. of a traditional 4-3-3 that becomes 4-5-1 when you lose the ball. Yeah, you defend as a 4-5-1. You defend as a 4-5-1, you attack as a 4-3-3. Once, once Zidane became... Um... Um, Real Madrid manager when Rodriguez was there in his, the latter period of his, of his time Rodriguez did play in that position on the right of the 4-3-3 yeah. I can't yeah. remember yeah. it but he did he was on that side yeah and they said they said that once I mean obviously Angelotti was sacked in the end of his first season um, yeah. Rodriguez's first season wasn't it 2015 um, and that and then he followed him to Bayern Munich for was it two two seasons I think mm, yeah, uh, on loan yeah on loan on two year loan and um, and it's no surprise that he's he's always seen his best form under under Ancelotti and he almost sees him like a like Ronaldo sees Ferguson as like a father figure it's almost like that sort of relationship mm. um, that they have and he thinks because it's no surprise. I mean, why the hell, why would James Hamas Rodriguez join the team that's just joined, um, finished 12th? I mean, he's not, he's, he's taken a wage yeah. drop. So, you know, Ancelotti is the factor. In yeah. Why oh, yeah, com- completely. And, yeah. And, and make a good point about the father figure, Adam, because Tim Vickery, the BBC South American journalist, has always said on many occasions that South American football was because of the, you know, situations in terms of you know the social system and how they mm. how they develop down there they often lack a father figure for whatever reason so yeah. when they move to european football at often quite an early age the team coach does effectively perform that role yeah um, they're often so young as well i guess and in yeah. a different 
continent. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you, that's sort of a, a the, common the, thing, isn't it? Go ahead. Ben. The other thing I don't think we should overlook is uh, at the risk of, you know, talking about the non-football side of things. Things is like you're going to talk about shirt sales. Well, well, no, I am because like Rodriguez is like you know he was just I saw him described as the David Beckham of Colombia, right? Like oh, no, he's, got, like, he's got more, huge... he's got more Instagram followers than the Bron- LeBron James, and well, exactly. LeBron so, James is a the, famous man. So the, like <laughs> yeah. the commercial aspect of this is actually oh, yeah. enormous as well in terms of not just like shirt sales, but actually building a brand abroad. Is yeah. Huge, oh, totally, completely. Huge, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. I really see that, like, you know, all the, the people who are like American friends of mine now who are Evertonians are all from either they went to see Everton on one of the like Moyes era tours over here sometimes, or it's uh, Tim Howard and Landon Donovan. And yeah. it's that, like those players signing for Everton is what meant that they then watched the games and then that's it. You, you can, it's a one-to-one thing. I can definitely South South America is a, it is the continent that Everton are trying to get into, um, yeah. hence, um, you know, the Allen signing as well. And I think like he's got more followers than the Brian James. I think he's also got more followers than um Manchester United, um, Liverpool and other some other teams combined. And Everton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and he's absolutely yeah. like you said, he is a superstar there. Um so it's definitely yeah. more layers to it than football and ability. There is one further way that Everton could get into the South American market a bit more. And that is by signing the, the Brazilian and Benfica forward, Everton Suarez, who is known as... I always sign him on Football Manager. Not just because it's funny having a guy called Everton, but he's actually very good, or he looks very good anyway. Yeah. And often, on my, and in my Football Manager universe, Man United often sign him, which is slightly perverse. Yeah. Did, you ever make, did you ever go do the triple and uh, make Everton um, in Chile your um, feeder club? Your feeder, feeder club, yeah. Every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time, so, yeah, you just so, want that Everton, Everton scoreline. Sorry, so I think if if you end up with the three signings, uh, you know we've got Alan. If you end up with Decore and Rodriguez, I think what we all saw how tepid and uninspiring uh, the midfield was at the back end of last season. You know, after Project yeah. Restart. I mean, I don't. I genuinely, I don't know what the point of Gilfie Sigurdsson, Tom Davis is anymore. Like uh, I, Tom Davis had a lot of promise, but. Uh, I think it was Austin. You said the other day that like I, I don't know what type of midfielder he is. And yeah, I don't know what he's trying to be. Run, like Sigurdsson yeah. can't run anymore. No, Sigurdsson's a luxury like, player for a different league. I mean, yeah. he's not he's not a top class Premier League. He's technically a top class Premier League player. And I met him on a train once, and I can tell you, he's a thoroughly nice man. But like you, he's not. Uh, you, you the the one of the things about the modern game is that all every particularly in the midfield, but actually everywhere except maybe centre half you've got to be so mobile now because you've got to do so much work because you're up against teams. You have Liverpool, if you want to play, play against Liverpool, like every one of your players has got to be moving all the time just to counter what they're doing, never mind thinking about unlocking it. So you can't carry players like that. And, and I think the, the, the Sigurdsson problem, actually, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem of age because actually when, I remember reading at the time when we signed him, that he had covered the most ground of any Premier League mid- midfielder this previous season. So I don't think it's a lack of effort. I just think he's, if you watch him, like especially the you know watching the back yeah. end of like last season, I just think his legs have gone. So yeah, he can't, and, can't push he, as much as he wants to. I think that's right. And also it's what you do with that movement, right? Because I don't think anyone would ever watch, I've never watched Gilfie Sigurdsson play and thought he wasn't trying. 
Like, I, I, I don't think you would ever say that. I think he's a professional. I think he tries, you know, I think he puts the effort in both in games and training and all that. But quite often, you know, it's like, okay, but do you win the ball back? Okay, do you close someone down in a way that disrupts them? Because you can run around a lot. And I mean, I run around a lot on a football pitch. You know, I'm still terrible. Like, it's not, you know, that's not what makes the difference, you know. So I think it, you, I can sort of see that. And I think he's the one where, you know, him and I think, you know, maybe Bernard are the two where you go, well, I'm not sure how they fit in in this sort of, you know, because the manager seems to like Theo Walcott. And I think you probably want him as a, you know, you probably want him in the squad. I think Alex Awobi is, I mean, he's not proven himself yet, but he's uh, versatile. And, there is and a also Iwobi, compared to the other signings, obviously hasn't been at the club very long. So yeah. certainly want to give him a re- more of an opportunity to, yeah. to to prove himself. Yeah, and I I like Alex Iwobi a lot at Arsenal. I, you know, he's not done it for us yet, but I sort of, I think there is a player in there. Um, I think Sigurdsson, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he moves on along with... I mean, the other thing is, of course, we've still got to shift, you know, half a dozen players, most of whom I'd forgotten still played for us. Yeah. I mean, I'm still... Yeah, I've got the squad written down here. And, I mean, we've still got the Sandra Ramirez still there. Bless Bless is still there. I mean, um, is um, Mo Besic? Yeah. Mo Besic. Yeah. Take a moment, by the way, just to talk about, have you seen Yannick Balassi's miss from oh, the yeah. friendly? God yeah, love um... that man. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you say, I would have scored that, I normally, like, we're taking a leap. But literally... Any one of us would have scored that. It was if you watch it, I had to watch it in slow motion to work out what his legs did. <laughs> I, will, I will look at that when we finish recording this. Oh, if the, you haven't seen it, it's Raheem Sterling miss in the Man City. It's worse, worse than it's, that. Well, it's way worse. It's way it's, worse. He's wow. so much closer. He's basically on the goal line and then clears it. And then there's a follow up shot from. Is it who was it? It was some, maybe that right back, young right back who came on, has a follow up shot. A Blassie is still lying on the line and blocks it. So, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was, it will be. I do, is Question of Sports still on? I don't know, but it will be a clip. Like, it will be, it will, be, it will become a legendary clip of a professional a, footballer missing it, from a yard and then blocking a shot from his own teammate four seconds later. Was it in? Was it in? Um, was it? I think it was last season. Or the season before last. Was it um, Chupo Moting, where in a Champions League game um, for PSG, I think he like there was a, a Neymar shot was going in, and I think he fancied it, and he basically was right on the line, and he basically and he and he kicks. And he goes to just kick it over the line, kicks it against the post. That's the only <laughs> other yeah. thing I've seen that's probably worse than Balassi's miss. It's like sorry, that sorry, shit house thing Lukaku used to do. Sorry, Ben. Go. No, I'm just saying. I've just watched. I've just watched Balassi miss, and I can't. I can't work out. No, you got to. If, any, if <laughs> anyone, I'm gonna have a look I'll, now. I'll pop oh, you've got to watch it. I'll pop up a chat for you so you can see yeah. it. But I mean, you'll appreciate it. You'll see. I think if he'd literally stood still, oh, the no, ball would have hit no, him and gone in. There's like. <laughs> You know, if you were to calculate, you do the sort of physics thing where you like calculate all the possible paths, right? Like the quantum electrodynamics thing where you're like, the ball takes every possible path. 
there's like 10 billion where it ends up in the net and one where he does what he does. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. I couldn't, I was laughing so hard and I felt so sorry for him because God, he was trying. Because actually, and yeah. I thought the same thing in the first friendly game. He was actually quite good when he came Yeah, on. he was, yeah. Well, there must have been that, there must have been a moment, like maybe a half a second when Richarlison squares to him. He thinks, God, I, 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 need, I, I can finally get this monkey off my back. Even uh, I can't I've been, miss it. I've been a complete waste of money. I've been 70 grand a week, 25 million. I can finally stick the ball in the net after being away for 20 yeah. years. Um, and I go and do that. And then, like, about two minutes later in the game, he, he, he picks the ball up on the halfway line, right wing, beats two people for pace, hits a stormer for 20, from 25 yards, and the goalie just tips, you know. And it's like, God, dude... You know, can you not just I, I do think, the simple things? I think he might have a bit of a role because, like, just going on to Ancelotti's formation, like he said, if he does end up playing a some sort of, uh, you know, four four two in some situations, for the same reason he likes Theo Walker, he might mm. want to keep stick keep yeah. uh, keep Balassi around. I mean, there's other, there's quite patently no suitors, which is why he's been on loan. Yeah. Um, and people don't want to pay his wages, and we obviously how want old is he? Balassi. 20, is he about 28, 27, 28? Yeah, he's right. It's only his... Oh, really? How old is he? Oh, really? How old is he? 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 How old you know, the assumption was this season we were going to sell to buy. We are going to buy and then hopefully sell. Although I think the there's a the Premier League did a bit of a switcheroo on their fair play rules, which help Everton out quite a lot. When I don't mean to talk about it much, but they've changed what seasons they're averaging the losses over. So um, it's this, our, our FFP for the Premier League is not as sort of sharp as it would have been. But what do we think about, like, presumably this will be it. I don't think anyone's seriously talking about there being any more signings. What, where do you think that leaves the squad overall and, like, other gaps in terms of places where we may, you know, struggle or not or where there'll be opportunities for young players? I mean, I think there's going to be a huge opportunity um, uh, at centre, in, in centre-back. Well, in the whole across the back four, actually. I think if you're, if you're essentially saying that his back four is is settled there's going to be no more signings then you know you're looking at um a huge opportunity for john joe kenny who was very good against uh, against preston um as far as i could read from all the reports um you know you've got Bramthwaite as your fourth center back who might be called in more often given that yeah. you know holgate went off injured again and we all know that yerry mina has not exactly got the he's got an excellent relationship with our treatment room um so, you know, Branthwaite was very impressive at the back end of last season. And I think actually the fact that our, it was interesting because there was almost a moment over the summer where our transfer priorities sort of switched. All of the talk was around centre-backs and which centre-backs are we after? And then there was this sort of, that sort of died down and it became about the midfield. And I wonder whether Ancelotti, after watching Branthwaite at the back end of last season, has basically gone, well, actually... He, I'm happy with him as my yeah. fourth centre back, and, and I'm happy with that. I, st I still worry about how light we are at left back because I know we've, uh, I know we signed, got the guy on the free whose name I've now absolutely forgotten. Thank you. Um, yeah, he was fantastic, by the way, against Preston. He was good in the first friendly. He was awesome yesterday. Was he yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So maybe. Fantastic. I mean, maybe the same thing. 
Like, he wasn't challenged defensively particularly, but going forward, and he put in two or three crosses that were absolutely outstanding. Mm. Um, I think that's that's the talk, isn't it? And if, I mean, there's talk of Delph going to um, uh, going to Burnley. I mean, I, I feel like he was one of the people that I forgot even played for us, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah but I mean, not can... when Kevin Morales came back for three seasons. You were like, did we sell it? Yeah. Delph is the one who <laughs> well, Delph is can possibly play left back, can't he? Yeah. At a push. Sorry, Andrew, go ahead. Of course he can, yeah. And Delph is one of the players that it's safe to say we're all disappointed in. It's not, that's just one of the signings that just hasn't hasn't worked yeah. out at all. And we, we've just not seen the quality from him that we all thought we'd be guessing. We all thought, you know, bring good experience to the dressing room, be good yeah. experience to the squad, fill in, you know, a couple of positions as and when necessary. And it's just, it's just not worked out that way. Yeah, and that is what people said, wasn't it? That he was like he was this mature, and it was just true. He's you know successful player, won things with Man City. You know, being at that, you know, in the, you watch that Amazon documentary, he was saying all the right things when the camera was on in the dressing room. You know, like all that stuff. But you know, clearly that's not happened. And you know, I don't know who. I think you know, none of us are in the dressing room. We don't know what the dynamics are like that. But we can see we have for some time now not had. You can sort of tell we've not had characters who can people can rally around. So it's a shame he didn't do that. Now, whether any of the new players are going to do that, I'm not, I'm not sure. But ultimately, like, I've always sort of been of the view that that, all, that stuff is all nice, right? But that stuff is nice to have around the edges of being a good quality available footballer on the field. So yeah. whilst it's really nice to have, you know, Fabian Delft giving, you know, I'm sure he gives wonderful dressing room speeches, but if he gives them with his ankle in a cast because, yeah. you know, he get he pulls a hat, he pulls his ligaments every six weeks or whatever, like it, it's no use to us on the pitch. So, uh, you know, and that's why he cost eight million quid, right? You know, no one yeah. was, you know, because if he if he was that good and fit all the time, he's not an eight million pound player. I think we can all agree on that. But you 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 sign those players with a view that it's a gamble and if they can prove their fitness then it's it works out for everyone yeah. and if they can't then it doesn't but unfortunately it hasn't but i just think like you can't if there's an opportunity to move him on i would take it because i just don't think we're not we're not in a financial position where you can have someone who's just unavailable as much as he is being paid what presumably is a fairly I'd, chunky I'd wage yeah, yeah i'd agree with that if the opportunity comes yeah. along to move him definitely uh, and you can He's say no that. brainer for uh Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, and, and, and just another point on the midfield as well, if uh, which we might come on to in a moment. If the lesser-spotted uh, Gabamon is ever in a situation where all his limbs are... <laughs> functioning, or at least the bottom two. Play, then that will, that's essentially going to be another new signing in midfield. Because yeah. the, 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 I think I'm right in saying the greatest period he spent on the field as an Everton player in a competitive game was against Lincoln in that <laughs> Carabao Cup. Uh, he's had a few bits and pieces, but apart from that, that's literally been it. And he's yeah. young, isn't he, Gababin? Because one of the things I think... That's you know, 25, people, yeah. So, because one of the things people are saying, I, I'm not, I don't buy this argument generally, but like, is that, you know, we're signing two 29-year-olds and a 27-year-old. Now, I think that is, you know, I understand why people ask that question, but I think you've got to sort of take it in the round. But it's interesting, like Gabamin, and I think Davis, I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure he has a future as a Premier League player, but, you know, people do develop at different stages. So it's interesting that, you know, say Gabamin is, is not an older player. I think well, with Davis, I think, ahead, 
Sorry, um, I think Davis. I, I, I've got a lot of sympathy with Tom Davis because I, I think that we have, a lot of Evertonians have this ability to when we get a player that has one good game, sort of like yeah. British people with summers in general. We think we remember that one summer from 1975 and extrapolate it to the. Entire I know none of us were alive, and we all remember it. Yeah, exactly. I think it was no, 76, but, Davis, but yeah. He, he, does one, he does one little Ronaldo chop um, to beat two players against City and all of a sudden, you know, he's the new Steven Gerrard. And he was yeah. never he was never that good. He really yeah. was never that good. And he's and he's been held up as this this player that he that he's not. Because I think as as a fan base, we're so desperate for one of our own to make it. Yeah, well, we lived through Rooney, right? I mean, that was, I don't know, like, Andrew, you'll remember this, but like, you know, when Rooney was like, there was genuinely like, it was like, there was talk of this kid who was in the, you know, in the youth team who was like, you know, a, this footballing prodigy, which, you know, he turned out to actually be. And like, oh, yeah, I can see absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, the, and the, the one difference, of course, is the first... I can't remember if it was Rooney's first game when he scored that goal against Arsenal when he was 16. It wasn't yeah, his... it wasn't his first game, but it was not. he hadn't played that many games. He hadn't played before. that many. So, of course, if you can then do that, and that ended their unbeaten run as well. They were on yeah. 4 odd games and we won the game 2-1. Yeah, yeah. Scoring a goal like that. In, I, know, that... I, remember, I remember going to watch the... I can't remember why, but I think we were staying. We were on holiday in Southport or something. I think me and Dad, I'm not sure if any of you were there, but me and Dad, definitely uh, the two of us, we went to watch the FA Youth Cup. It was either the semi-final or the final first leg. It must have been the semi-final first leg. Yeah. Um, uh, at Goodison, we were playing Spurs. And it was, you know, it, there was all this team, but there was this, Wayne Rooney was in this team. Mm. And I remember watching him. Um, and he must have been like 15 at the time, playing in the yeah, youth club. He was club. twice he was the just, size of everyone. He was else, twice the size of everyone. And we yeah. got, we had this, we had. I remember thinking we had this free, we got this free kick from like 40 yards out or whatever. And he put it down, and I was like, "There's no way he's going to shoot from there." And he did, and he didn't score, but he came much closer to scoring than I ever thought was possible from that distance. But he yeah. was just clearly so much better. Coming back to a couple of things we talked about, so Gavin is 24. So yeah. he is very, still young very, uh, very yeah. young. So, and also the other thing about player ages, right, is that, you know, I, I'm an American football uh, follower as well, right? And in American football, they talk about windows, right? Your window to win uh, being, being based around, you know, that's a lot of based around the salary and stuff. But they talk about coaches and general managers who are the directors of football equivalent having windows to win because, if you don't win inside three, four years, you're probably going to get the chop, right? So if you view, view Carlo Ancelotti's window to build a team and win, we're not in the era of Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, where managers are sticking around for 10, 15 years, right? So if you're a manager, you're looking at going, right, right how can I build this team to win and compete over the next three, four, five years? Because realistically, no one's talking at longer sort of time spans than that. So signing a 27-year-old, a 29-year-old, that doesn't bother me. You're gonna, we're probably going to get the best years of uh, Decore's yeah. career. We're going to get, like, you know, Alan and, and, and Rodriguez are certainly not done at 29, even if you, you know, you get two, two three yeah, years, two or three good years, years yeah. out of them. Then... You go, well, in four years' time, are we really all going to be sitting back reflecting, going, oh, do you know the mistake we made? It was it was signing a 20-year-old, no, 29-year-old right. James Rodriguez. Like. I think it's a good point, because there's a big difference between 29 and 31 in that sense, isn't it, when you're talking yeah. about three-year contracts? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, yeah. That, that, that flips yeah. over a long uh, way. When, when you add the, the, the respect of transfer fees for those three, the, the players in as well, 
they're all in by modern standards relatively good value you've obviously got to add the yeah, wages yeah. as well of course but you think you're alan for was it 20 million pounds we signed him for well and god knows what that actually means yeah right but, like it's not they haven't done a backs transfer for 20 million like, no you know it, it, it's it's structured over the length of a contract and their incentive but like for what like no it's so opaque now that you know yeah. you'll never really know well, no, you, you don't really know, but you, you, that's yeah. the basic, you know, that's the, yeah. you've only got the figures you've got to work with and you, yeah. you, you, you base your opinion on those. And as I said, the, the three transfer fees, if they're around what we believe them to be, they're in the grand yeah, scheme. Yeah, it's a total of sort of 60 yeah. to 70 million yeah. ballpark. Which, yeah. which, is, which is less than, you know, Chelsea have just bought Kai Havertz for, you know, was it 70 plus million? You know, mm-hmm. so we we're talking about buying reshaping an entire midfield for the cost of you know buying a admittedly superstar but young player, and that's the and that's the balance, right? If you're Marcel Brands and you're Carl Ancelotti, you go okay, we can buy like some up and coming, you know, youngster, but they're more expensive. So actually, what is it yeah. we need for the team now? Well, we and they actually, want immediate, should... you know, and they 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 want an immediate bump, right? I mean, that yeah, is clearly exactly. the intention. And we should talk about Brands actually, better. yeah, because like. The job that he appears to have done, he says, touching all the wood, of getting three what most people would regard as, you know, high quality players for cumulatively somewhere around 60 to 70 million pounds is, you know, a heck of an effort in the modern in the modern market. Because, you know, like go back 12 months, you know, Decore was probably a 40 million pound player, like, you know, comfortably. we had a bid. Sorry to We had a bid rejected of him for thirty-five point seven million pounds. Yeah. Uh, last summer. So, sorry, Karen. No, no, no. So, but that's exactly the point. So, if if you're now saying we've got him and uh, you know the golden boot winner from the World Cup from Real Madrid, who was, by the way, remember signed for sixty-five million pounds like five oh. years ago, and then you've got Alan, who is you know. Uh, underrated but wi- widely regarded as a very very good central midfielder if you're basically reshaping your entire midfield for less than the cost of you know one harry Maguire, then like, i'll take that like i, I don't yeah. think I complain too much about them being 29 no i think i i, I completely agree with that i imagine we'll probably recruit look to recruit something like half of that through sales that are still to come yeah. as well i mean you know, yeah i imagine we'll recruit some i mean the guys he's obviously got uh um, he's obviously got a lot of form. I mean, I remember reading an article about um, when he was at PSV. He brought in um, he brought in Herving Lozano, um, the Mexican winger from um, I can't remember which club he came from. But he, like, it, what they said, like the level of detail that he goes into and the amount of mm. he gets. He, I think he met he met his family, he met his parents. He flew over to Mexico a few times to actually go and meet him before he brought him in and. People have said like there isn't a he he knows pretty name a player he will know he will know about that player in some in some way he he's got an incredible footballing knowledge but obviously he's obviously an incredible negotiator as well and and I still go back to the Moise Keane and I'm still convinced that Moise Keane is an absolutely brilliant player. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I agree with that. We've uh, we've clearly not seen. Yeah. Just address well, let's go on to that now. We've clearly not obviously not seen the best of him. You don't, but he's about him. he's like 12, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. he's like he's a kid, fully Italian international without obviously knowing how to know your way around a football pitch. And for whatever reason, yeah. 
you know, you can name, name several. It, we, we've just not seen it. Uh, this time yeah. last year, we were all excited about, very, very excited, I'm sure. Uh, so, you know, it's a quite a coup for us to sign a player like that from Juventus for, again, a relatively, you know, relatively small transfer fee. And I completely agree with you, Adam. There's definitely a player in there. And if you can get him firing as well, then, yeah, it, it, it's hard to play in a back. Sorry, Ad, go ahead. So it's the fact he managed to get the he managed to get the buyback clause for, um, removed that Juventus mm. wanted, and especially with the um, Ital- Italian um, registration um, criteria is quite robust. Because um, uh, I think I think you can I mean I I'm, I did a little bit of research into this. I'm pretty sure it's true. And, and, and but my primary source is Football Manager. They um, <laughs> they 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 can only sign one. Um, non-EU player a season um, and obviously the Champions League rules are very robust uh, Champions League rules are very uh, rigid in terms of the um, registration of, of academy players so to, for them to get to allow a, an Who's academy player to leave yeah. uh, who's obviously well very well um, thought of and to not have any option to buy him back I mean um, you know Barcelona always put those sorts of things in for their young players, I mean, look at Delafeo. They went, they did that for us, um, mm. uh, and for him not to, to, to get that removed is quite incredible. And was it? I mean, Watford wanted thirty-five million for Decore, and we're looking at just over twenty. Napoli yeah. wanted a similar fee for, uh, for Allen. Uh, some reports say up to forty million, and we got him yeah. for nearly fifty percent of that. Uh, and Rodriguez as well. Um, he seems you know, quite good. Like Brands and I think Ancelotti seem quite good at basically, and I don't know if I'm accusing Everton of breaking the rules here or not, but like getting the players convinced that they want to join Everton and using that as leverage in a negotiation. I mean, that seems to be basically what happens. And and so, you know, because that is like, how do you do these things, right? Well, you know, you've got you know, someone like Decore saying, well, I'm not going to sign for anyone else. Then that completely, if you're the selling team you just lose all your leverage at that point. And I can see how that's happened a few times. Just and coming back to Moise Keane a second. Go ahead, Andrew. So coming back to Moise Keane very quickly, I think the biggest the biggest sign of where he is is that if you look at the players that we're, you know, linked with and you can only base this on like uh, you know, uh, newspaper reports or whatever, but we're not being linked with any, you know, strikers. Like we're not no one's talking yeah, about yeah, us going out totally. and spending money on strikers. So Obviously, Ancelotti, that shows that Ancelotti is yeah, happy I, with Calvert-Lewin and happy with Moyes Keane. I think as, we've as, got as, as potentially, yeah, I think that's right, we've got potentially a hell of a front line. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, Calvert-Lewin could, could seriously make it. I mean, you know, God knows whether he'll continue to develop, but if he does, I think he could be a really top-class striker. I think Richarlison already is. I think Moyes Keane will be. And either of those three, that is a quite a thing to have, actually. I'm really optimistic about that. And, and yeah, just going back to um, Rodriguez as well, in uh, which season was it? Oh, he, he scored 29 goals. He, he actually made 85 appearances for Real Madrid, um, which isn't quite as many as you might think. Bear in mind, he played there for three seasons. But in those 89 appearances, he scored 29 goals. Yeah. So if you get him on the field for a full season, you're looking at, you know... That's ten to twelve a season, which I think that's been that's been part of his problem. Is that like he's not he's not actually played a heck of a lot of football in his in his like in his mid to late twenties. Uh, I think there's only one. He's only he's only completed two thousand minutes 
um, since the World Cup in 2014, 2,000 minutes a season once. Um, yeah. Which is... He's not joining a team with a poor injury record, isn't it? No, is that, um, what's that? You know, um, that's only, like, what, 23 games? Um, 23 games, so it's not a lot at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... You know, I'm super excited by that. I think it's just going to be great to... You know, it's probably the most exciting signing since... I don't know, I can't remember. Lukaku, maybe, I think, for me. Yeah, probably, probably Lukaku. Cause, although we'd seen him sort of on loan, so it was a bit... Uh, yeah. It, it was slightly different because... But it was, it was the pain of losing something you had, Ben. That's what we were feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's true. So we should talk about, like, the, the game. Next first game's next week. Like, some, a week today, almost at this time, actually, it'll be done by now. Um, wh- what do we think about, like... I, I, I mean, I, I just, you know answer my own question first i have no idea whether everton are going to be brilliant or terrible so yeah. uh, I, I think we're probably more likely to be terrible than brilliant we'll be closer to terrible than brilliant and i say that for a couple of reasons one because i'm naturally pessimistic because i'm an everton fan right two whilst all everything we've just talked about is really exciting and the signings are good they've had no time to bed in they haven't won't have trained with the team and like what is the best proof of you know future performance is past performance right we've just watched basically this everton team and this everton squad uh at the back end of, of last season under project restart and we were pretty terrible so yeah. i i think it would be over optimist overly optimistic that because we've signed alan a week before the start of the season and we're probably going to get to and rodriguez in before the first game as well that all of a sudden it's going to be it's going to have transformed the entire sort of performance of the of the team so uh, you know i'm not sure if we we're going to do predictions at the end of this but i i, I would predict us to lose the first game because I, I genuinely don't think that the turnaround is going to be that that yeah. you know massive in that short period of time yeah the first round of fixtures i think for all for for the premier league for at least i think for the first couple of weeks um, is not going to be the case of who's going to be better. It's going to be who's going to be who's going to be worse. Yeah, at least um, worse between every yeah. every two teams that compete. Um, I think I, I can't. I, I don't. I really don't think it's going to be particularly entertaining. Like any yeah. of the games are going to be actually that all that good because I think the players have not had a great rest. Um, obviously, transfer windows. I mean, I've not really looked at the signings of most, but I think I think. <laughs> The majority of teams have signed a player, a first team player, but there are one or two that haven't signed anybody. Uh, or if you're West Ham's case, you know you're letting you get you letting your starlets go and letting your captain um, go on um, uh, moan about it on Twitter. So um, I think I don't think it's going to be good. But Everton specifically, uh, I, I agree with you, Ben. I don't think um, I'm not that I'm not that optimistic about Sunday. To be honest, I think it's just I gonna, can get that. I think thinking about, yeah, I can see how you could sort of say, well, look, it's going to be five, six games with these guys before it starts to click and we need to be patient around that. I think I, I, I agree with that. I just think that, yeah, if you, th- if you do think about the back end of last season, that was pretty bad a lot of the time um, and it's not going to be an easy kind of an easy correction. No, fortunately, Everton fans are known for their, you know, patience and understanding. Patience, in those scenarios, calmness, so we'll yeah. be, we'll ability be ability to let things slide on right. the internet. Yeah, it's not the easiest start, but the fact that obviously there's going to be no fans in the stadium, there's everybody's under their COVID secure bubble and all that. 
you, you've just got no no idea. I mean, we yeah. uh, when the season restarted last season, we obviously had some very poor performances. Equally, we went to Sheffield United away, a team that was had a, had a really good season. I think we beat them two nil. Um, so you, you just you just don't know what's going to happen. But the same is true for everybody. If yeah. you're Tottenham looking at this game, you're going well. You know, you're not going to know exactly what your players are going to, um, how they're going to perform either. So in that yeah. sense, everybody's kind of in the same boat. I think it's going to be interesting to see which team's struggling early in the Premier League this year. You know, because I think there's some like teams like you know Villa and West Ham were like not good teams last year at all, and you know just scraped out of it. And I think you'll see. I think there'll be some. I think there's going to be some early pressure on some managers there. Oh, oh, very much so. And just just looking at Everton's fixtures um, subsequent to Tottenham, I've actually only just noticed that um, you guys might know this already. On t- next uh, Tuesday, the fifteenth of September, two days after we play Tottenham, we're playing Salford in the EFL Cup. That draw was only made this morning, actually. Yeah, was yeah. it right? Yeah. And, and then that... our next round is against Port Vale or someone else. I think, isn't it? I yeah, we've got like. That's a we've, got a, we've got a chance here. Like even we, <laughs> even Everton, Famous. might Famous be able to make it round a couple of the crowd, rounds of the League Cup. I'll, yeah. say, I'll say this: everyone says this. It'd be really great if we took that seriously and won something. Yeah, say it. And we, we, I think I don't think it's as bad as we're not taking it seriously. I think this is us trying. <laughs> I think we're taking it really seriously. It's just, just the tiniest bit of pressure. Since we lost John Heitinger, we just haven't had anybody who was basically up for the pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we so, need someone to yeah, some, someone to bump into Ashley Cole when he takes a penalty. That's um, never never forget that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what do we what do we think for results for first game? Are we do? Do you want to do predictions? Uh, yeah, I think let's do it. Adam, you start. let's do it. Yeah, I think we will. I think I think we'll lose two one. That's my honest assessment. Ben. Uh, uh, I, I was going to go for a plucky two-one defeat as well, but I'll be uh, to to give it some variety. I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to be even more pessimistic. I think we'll lose two 0 because okay. I don't think we'll I don't think we're quite there in the goal scoring department yet. Andy, I'll be a bit more optimistic and I'll say a battling one-all draw because I just think the lack of fans in the stadium, especially a stadium like Tottenham's. Is going to make such a difference. It takes away so much of the advantage you get by playing at home and the disadvantage you get by playing away. Uh, us going to a, t- a stadium like that with no supporters—it's it's not quite a neutral ground, obviously, but it's much closer to it, I think. So yeah. I give us a little bit more of a chance. I'm going to say one all. I'm going to say we're going to win for two reasons. One, I'm the only one doing that. So it's disproportionately, you know, uh, mathematically sensible prediction to make. But also, you've got to remember, this is Mourinho in his second full season as Tottenham manager. And he's doing, and he's doing everything a season earlier than he used to. Right? So it used to be season three, like, like a Netflix show. It used to be season three Mourinho that would go properly mad yeah, and like, everything would fall apart. But he started that already in season one. That was the season one plot twist, was that he was doing it all early. So Tottenham are going to be a house fire this year. <laughs> I can guarantee it. And it's going to start with us. We're going to beat them 2-0. 
and it's and they're going to be a disaster and he's going to be fired by november and eddie howe's going to take over there you go first more of a prediction than the actual. hey there you go well, so will you go Mourinho first manager to be sacked no i think david moyes or david i think moyes, I, villa moyes, and west ham are going to struggle yeah because what i I think Moyes. I was going to go Moyes as well. Because <laughs> West Ham, like I, I, I actually, I, I made down. I'm a big fan of David Moyes. I really am. I, you know, and I wouldn't have. I mean, I wouldn't have him as our manager now. But there are certainly times in the past few years where I would have done. But the, you know, the West Ham fans have never taken to him. I mean, they just don't. They just do not. They just don't like him. And I think that's impossible to get past in the end. Yeah, West Ham, West Ham are, they're like a worst. I get the feeling that a lot of West Ham fans. I know, I know some West Ham fans, and they, they are. Yeah, the, yeah, they're they're a lot more down to earth and realistic. But from what I can pick up with a lot of West Ham fans is that they are like a worse version of our fans, just without the history to actually back it up. Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of that. I think it is. It is. I think it's a. It's one of those clubs where, I mean, like Newcastle, I think we are the same. Where there's an expectation around how you play and yes. stuff, which is, you know, yeah. I get. Like, I I don't want to see crap either. You know, I I totally get that. But I think that. That he's not loved their moist. I think a few bad results, and I think he'll be out. And also, they're terribly run. I mean, that's the thing about Everton now is that Everton, in, are, as an organization, are run by grown ups, right? Like there are adults in charge over there, you know, generally. But, you know, West Ham are run by, I mean, just idiots. I mean, these people don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of, if you go sort of 30, I, I'm aware by, we finished 12th last season. You yeah. go down a couple of places from you know for 14th from there to the bottom of the league. There's a lot of yeah. bang average clubs and a lot of bad teams. Yeah, and like Villa obviously didn't um, escape relegation by a great um, a great margin last season. And I can't remember the exact teams they're playing, but I know Ben, you put this on our WhatsApp group. They've got by far the most difficult opening set of fixtures. Um, of anybody, you can easily see a situation where six, seven games in, they've only got three points. So yeah, yeah. so so West Ham's West Ham's fixtures to West Ham's fixtures to start the season. They start away at New uh, at home at Newcastle, then they go away to Arsenal, home to Wolves, away to Leicester, away to Spurs, home to Man City, away to Liverpool. Yeah, like, that's it's done. <laughs> Just resign now. So you know, so, so by the thirty first, they, they play Liverpool away on the thirty first of October, and I reckon that's probably the game where. In classic Everton style, Moyes led West Ham capitulate to a 4 0 loss yeah. and he gets the sack. Yeah. Imagine how angry Mark Noble's tweets are going to be by then. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we're going to wrap it up. We're, we're, we, just one more point sorry. about Moyes. Yeah, just imagine if Moyes and Marcel Brands worked together. You'd start looking at a player when he was 22, and then you might actually get round to signing him when he was 27. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. On a free. Um, yeah, awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. We're gonna, I'm going to stop recording. Uh, and uh, But if anyone was actually listening to this, then, uh, you know, thanks. We appreciate yeah. it. Before we... Um talk about this i'm just going going to get my uh, laptop charger cable because uh <laughs> to me and i've only got about 12 minutes left so i will be back in a moment you'll be back we'll edit this out yeah